This morning, I'm going to be starting off, I'm launching off in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we're going to kind of kick things off. But there are two things I'm going to be doing. I'm going to, well, I'm going to be speaking about fighting the good fight and, and fighting the good fight of faith. That comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Uh, but I'm actually drawing principles from Deuteronomy chapter 20. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, we have one of those great kind of, well, the whole book of Deuteronomy is fantastic, but Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, Moses is specifically dealing and speaking to the Israelites and is saying, um, this is what you need to do when you're fighting battles, when you're going to war, and he's speaking about kind of a, a, a literal war, we're going to speak more in a spiritual sense today as well, but he's saying, these are some of the things you need to take note, and I'm going to pull three points out of there to get us going this morning, and that's kind of going to be where we're going to go today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's go straight there. Um, you can read it uh, wherever it is. I think it's in the notes on the screen, but uh, just follow with me. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness. When Paul writes to Timothy, he, Timothy's got a very deep relationship with this guy. He sees him like as a son. He understands that he's, uh, he's got a very affectionate relationship with him as well. Timothy is pastoring a church, and he's giving him some insight. And when he says... Flee from all this. He's saying there's a lot of things going on within that church that Timothy's leading. A couple of things that are going on specifically in the context of this particular verse. If you go back a couple of verses, and I encourage you to do that at home, just continue to read and to just fill yourself with the Word of God. It's very, it's very beneficial. Um, there is controversies taking place. There are people that are argumentative, people that are fighting, people get into conflict. And he's saying you shouldn't, you, be, you need to be pushing against these kind of things. If we read the greater works and more of the, the letters that Timothy writes, we understand that there are some other things. There are things like the love of money. That, in fact, just a verse or two before that is something that he also addresses. We also understand that there may well have been various temptations, like, for example, with money would be greed, maybe also sexual temptations, that Paul is saying to him, you need to fight and push back against these kind of things in your life as well. As that's the context of this. So he's saying, flee all this and pursue righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Then he says this, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In speaking about fighting the good fight, I've realized that when you find yourself in conflict, there are many ways that you can deal with conflict. One of the ways, and kind of like, you kind of need to be wise in these situations. One of the things you can do is you can run. Now, it doesn't sound like the great thing to do, uh, but if you have a really healthy sense of self-preservation and you are assessing the situation and realize you will come out second best, sometimes it's not a bad idea to have a good run and make sure that you come out okay at the end of the day. Now, I'm not teaching you to be a coward, but I'm saying that this is one way to avoid conflict is to get out of there. Another way often is to try to just avoid it completely, just kind of pretend it's not there, put your head in the sand, this thing's not happening. Paul's not saying to Timothy, I want you to run away from this thing. He's not saying to him, I want you to put your head in the sand. I want you to pretend it's not there. It'll go away. He's saying something very particular. He's saying, you need to stand up to this thing that's, that's in front of you. You need to actually stand up. You need to fight the good fight. So the language is very confrontational. And he's saying, something's happening. You need to deal with this. Now, in our lives, we all have things that we need to deal with, whether we invite them into our lives through sometimes our own actions and the things we do, the things we say. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations. When we find ourselves in situations, we want to blame the world. It's probably not a bad idea to start by looking at your own life and saying, well, maybe I did something to get myself here. 
Let me encourage you to take responsibility. Something very, very, very vague missing in today's society. Responsibility. Who did it? Somebody else. Let's take responsibility. But sometimes you find yourself in a situation where nothing, you've done nothing wrong. It's not your own doing. There's no reason. You can't blame yourself. You can't point fingers at yourself. But you are there because maybe somebody else has made a bad decision or because of circumstances or simply because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes you might find yourself in a situation where you're battling illness and you need to fight an illness. I find it quite interesting when we talk about, when we think about illness, we think about how illness can affect us. The interesting thing about illness is that there's almost like a double battle. The one is when you're fighting something, maybe you're terminal, maybe you've got a pain that is really quite, quite, quite debilitating or whatever it is that you're dealing with, there's the, there's the illness itself that you have to fight. But then there's almost that second kind of battle, that one where you're saying to yourself, what did I do to get myself here? Or, or how about, God, why do you allow these things to happen to me? I think some of the hardest battles are not only the, the physical battles that we face, like within illness, but what about the doubts, the uncertainties, the unbelief, the things that creep into our hearts? God, really? If you are alive, if you truly are alive, shouldn't you be? I've been through many things in my life. A lot of things I've been through, I've, I'd like to say God has used them all, but I can say this, I can say this, I haven't understood everything God has done in my life. So there's all these battles we have to fight. Sometimes it's illness, sometimes it might be financial. Maybe today you're here, you're dealing with some financial problems and obstacles in your life. Maybe it's relational, maybe it's marriage, maybe within your family, maybe it could be things like addiction or something that, that is somewhere within your family, within your life. These are things, employment, whatever it is, these are things that we need to deal with. And you know what the hardest part is sometimes we get to the place where we're praying and we're saying, God, will you please take this from me? Can you please take this burden away? Can you deal with this thing? Can you give me breakthrough? For some, you might have been sitting some of you sitting here, you might even have taken the time to fast and to pray, to push in, to really believe God. You believe you got faith and still it is there. But here's the thing. Sometimes God doesn't necessarily want us to, doesn't want to take them away from us. But he wants those things to stay, not because he wants to harm us, but because he wants to build us. You know, when you go to the gym, you pick up heavy weights, not light weights. Well, some people pick up lightweights, but let's not go there right now, okay? But the idea is that you want some kind of resistance because when you have some kind of resistance on your body, it builds muscle. It makes you stronger. Amen? Sometimes God brings heavy weight into your life so that you can rest it, you can fight it, you can lift that weight so that you can be stronger, not overcome. And that's important for us to understand, very important. In fact, if you go to 1 John chapter 2, verse about 12 to 14, I don't think we've got the scriptures yet, but you can write it down and have a look at it at home. Um, Paul, uh, John writes, and he, he speaks about kind of like three levels of maturity. He starts off and he says, children, I write to you because of your sins are forgiven. And he also says, because you have known the Father. Then he says, fathers, I write to you because you have known him who is from the beginning. Speaking of a deeper knowing, a deeper knowledge of God. But then he stops with the young man and he says this, young man, I write to you because you have overcome the evil one. What's he saying there? He's actually saying this. He's saying, in our lives, there's going to be a time when you just have to fight and overcome. And if you want to grow spiritually, you've got to get into God's gym. You've got to start lifting some heavy weights. And some of the things in your life, God might not want to be taking away from you, but he rather wants to use those things to make you stronger. 
And so I'm going to give you just three quick tips today, or three, not tips, pointers, from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20, where Moses speaks to the Israelites, and uh, I really believe that's going to help you today if you'll just stay with me as we go through that. So Deuteronomy chapter 20, Deuteronomy, one of the biggest, longest sermons that was ever preached. Uh, Moses, uh, basically, he is saying goodbye. He is, this is his farewell speech. He's got not a lot of time left, then he's going to go up the mountain, he's going to die, then Joshua's going to take over, Joshua will then lead the people into the promised land, but this is kind of Moses' last words, kind of saying, here is the law, this is what you need to understand. If you really want to understand the heart of God, read Deuteronomy. He basically is saying throughout the whole book, I love you, I'm committed to you, you will be blessed, just walk in obedience. Very simple, that's abbreviated version, Moses took a lot longer to say the same thing, and he's got a lot more depth in it. But let me give you three points from there, Deuteronomy chapter 20, and we will go through a few verses as we go along. The first is this, when you're fighting the good fight and you're fighting battles, know this, know that God is with you. Know that God is with you. Very, very important point for us to make. I don't know how many of you might have read or watched the movie The Hunger Games or read the book. It's, it's quite a, a little bit of a twisted messed up storyline of a bunch of people that fight to the death. It's like, it's like really messed up. But, but there's a line in it that I find really, that it kind of, it's like applicable and help, makes me think. Somewhere in the movie, they say this. They say, may the odds ever be in your favor. And I stop and think to myself, really? You're about to go to war and you could die and like, I hope it goes well with you. Imagine if God did that to us. Well, here you are on earth and you're struggling with relational problems. You're struggling with illness. I really hope it goes well with you. We don't serve a God like that. We need to know we do not serve a God that says, I really hope things work out. No, we serve a God that says, I am with you. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to falter. You don't have to trip up. You don't have to get all scared. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to shrink back. God is with us. Deuteronomy 20 verse one says this. When you go to war, and let's just stop there for a second. When you go to war, don't you sometimes wish the Bible had Different words, like maybe if you go to war. I sometimes think it'd be great if you go to war. But the Bible says when you go to war. Because Moses knew that the Israelites, if they were going to fight for something that they believed in, there was going to be opposition and there would be times when they would have to go to war. If you're a Christ follower, if you believe in the Word of God, and if you stand on what God believes, there's going to be a time when people are going to confront what you believe. And there's going to be a time when you say, actually, I don't believe that that there'll be confrontation, there'll be disagreement, there'll be dissension, there'll be argument, there'll be a time when you have to stand for what you believe, and it might not be pleasant, might not be nice, but in, in our Christian walk, there is always gonna be a when. When? When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, when you see circumstances greater than yours, when the doctors can't answer the questions, when there's no financial solutions, when relationally it looks hopeless, when the odds are stacked against you, this is what he says, do not be afraid of them because the Lord, your God, will be with you. Now, I missed out a small section there. If you notice that, it's important because I did that on purpose. He says, because the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, why has he put that in there? I mean, why waste the words? I mean, it's kind of his final speech because he wants, as he's speaking to this, this nation, the Israelites, he wants them to stop and reflect. The Lord your God 
who has already shown himself to be faithful. The Lord your God, who when you were in Egypt, and the horses and the chariots and the army were far greater than you, when you found yourself kind of trapped between the, Israel, the army of Pharaoh, the Egyptian army, and, 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 and the sea, when you were stuck in that place, who rescued you? Who saved you? And in each and every one of our lives, if we took the time to just stop, to quieten our spirit, and to say, God, remind me of your faithfulness, you'll realize that he has been more faithful than you ever, ever imagined. I, I, I love to journal. Journal is one of the things I love to do. And the reason I like to journal is because I tend to forget too much. When I know that in, in, in my Christian walk and in the faith, in the Christian faith, we need to learn how to remember more. He was faithful. And if he was faithful, he will continue to be faithful. Because when the horses came, when the chariots came, when the army came, and I felt overwhelmed in that season, in that place, at that time, he was faithful. So when I see the army and I see the chariots and I see the horses, I know he will be faithful again. Because that's the God that I serve. Amen? Amen. Let's keep moving with this as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. John writes as well, he says this, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Speaking about false teachers in this situation, because the one who is in you, God is faithful. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. There is nothing. There is nothing that the devil, that the enemy, that the world, that there is no opposition. There are no horses, there are no chariots, there's no armies. There is no opposition that you can fight, that God cannot deal with. He is faithful. Point number two, moving on. Number two, stay tuned to God's word. Stay tuned to God's word. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 to verse 25 says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Unswervingly. Once again, like that word, unswervingly. You ever swerved in your car? Something is in the road, you swerve. Have you ever swerved in your faith? Think about it. Because maybe you were faced with something, you're faced with a situation, you're faced with a circumstance, you're faced with something you don't understand, something that doesn't make sense to you, you're concerned, is God really faithful? Can I really trust him in this situation? And you swerve in your faith. Why is Paul saying that? Because we tend to swerve. We tend to swerve. And he's saying, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is, there it is again, he is Faithful, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So how does not giving up meeting together and kind of avoiding swerving kind of tie together? Well, when you meet together, and this is very important, when you meet together, you get to encourage one another. And I'm going to talk more about that in the last point. They're kind of going to merge together. But when you get together and you're going through a hard time, somebody can look you in the eyes and say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When you feel your hope has been drained, you feel like something inside of you has been robbed from you, 
You wonder whether you're going to come out of this thing alive. You wonder whether you're going to come out on top. You don't know what, what you're going through. How can I deal with this? Somebody can come around you, put the arm around you and say, you know what? He is faithful. Because sometimes when I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, and have you noticed that we go through the valley of the shadow of death? We don't go into the valley of the shadow of death? Let me explain that quickly. God might take us through something, but he doesn't get to the, we don't get into the valley of the shadow of death, and then God goes, oh, guess what? Let's, this is a great spot for a picnic. It's dark, it's dreary, it's terrible, it's fearful, there's no faith. Let's camp here. God does not camp out in the valley, but he leads us through the valley, and he never leaves us in the valley. He always walks with us as we go through, because he is faithful, because he is faithful. And so we have this whole thing when we sing together and I'm sitting in that place and I feel like things are coming around me and, and I, I feel almost like, 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 like all the unbelief is creeping in and I feel fear coming and I feel intimidated and as much as I want to believe that God is faithful, I just might need somebody to tap me on the shoulder and say, you need to know today that God is faithful in your life. Because sometimes somebody else's voice can encourage me more than my voice can encourage myself. Let's build on this in just a second, not forsaking the gathering of the saints, staying tuned to what God is saying. Deuteronomy chapter 20, back to that, that passage that we're building on. When you are about to go into battle, from verse 2 to verse 4, the priest shall come forward and address the army. That is interesting. Isn't that interesting? The priest shall come forward and address the army the army. Don't you want at that stage to have a, like a really high-ranking military official to come forward and address the army? And he shall say, here are Israel today, you're going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. We live in a time that we've got to be very careful how we allow the world to influence who we are and how we live our lives. I don't know if you've ever been to the doctor, and if you're one of these people, this is not a good time to put your hand up. You probably don't want to identify yourself at this moment. Well, you were sick, and so you went on to, you consulted Dr. Google, and then you put all your symptoms into the internet, and it spat out, and would you believe it, you have a very, very rare disease that one in 25 million people get. And so you take your tablet and your phone. If you've done this right now, husbands, are you looking at your wives? Please don't. <laughs> and you went to the doctor and you said, doctor, I have this disease. And what the doctor do? He looked at you and went, oh, would you mind if I assessed you rather than Google assessed you? Now, I, I'm tempted to say anybody like that here, but I'm not going to. Do you know what happens? We live in a time when we're so self-empowered that we almost start to kick away from structures and things. In the church, this is very dangerous. We push away from what God has placed within the body of Christ. Throughout Scripture, when you read Scripture, you understand very clearly that God has placed leaders 
into the life of the church. He has appointed people. He anoints people. He brings teachers in. He brings prophets in. He brings priests in. Throughout the Bible, we understand that the people are continually led by somebody that God appoints and brings into their midst. And through that leadership, they are able to move forwards in the direction that God wants them to go. In a church like this, you're very blessed. You've got a fantastic minister. Pastor Tim is great. He's a fantastic man of God, loves the word, loves preaching. And you really are blessed with something that God has placed his hand upon and he's continuing to work in and through. But what we tend to do so often within our society, what society tells us is what we should rather do is we should rather go to Google, call it Reverend Google, not Dr. Google this time, and we're going to now understand ourselves because we found a website somewhere deeply tucked away that actually says something absolutely mad and crazy that we've decided is now God's truth. Why? Because we saw it on the internet. Let me explain how we sometimes do Bible study on the internet, and this is, this is important to understand. Now, I'm not saying everything on the internet is bad, but you're studying a passage of Scripture, and actually you know what that passage is telling you, but you really wanted to tell you something different. So you Google it. And as the hits come up, the first one doesn't seem to agree with what you wanted to say. The second one also doesn't seem to agree with what you wanted to say. So you keep going through the various responses that Google's kicking out so that somewhere you could find some person who respectfully is a flake who's now decided that he has interpreted this passage of Scripture exactly the way you want him to. And so you say, there it is. God has confirmed it. Respectfully, let's rethink it. I've got kids. Sometimes I have to tell them things they don't like to hear. Sometimes I have to say to them, that's not good behavior. Sometimes I've got to say, often I've got to say, Eat your vegetables. We don't like vegetables. They're healthy for you. Now, I could say, look, I'm a bad parent. I make my kids eat their vegetables. That's bad. You know, is that bad? I don't think it's bad. I want, I want the best for my children. I really want the best for my children. And there are going to be times in your life where in the life of the church, your pastor stands up. Your minister, your leaders stand up, and they speak into And you're going to go, I don't like that. I don't like what they're teaching. I'm leaving. Why don't you eat your vegetables? Where's the amens? Come, let's get some more amens here. It's getting very quiet. I'm getting nervous. Are you going to tar and feather me on the way out here? Eat your vegetables and become healthy because God appoints people into our lives to speak into our lives so that we can become strong. And what we want to do is run out and fight our battles on our own when God has appointed people to help you fight those battles. Let me try and tie this together for you in a way that will help you understand. And I'll, I'll use Scripture and we'll go back to the Old Testament and just bring it together in an analogy. In 1, Cham in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have a fantastic account of God's faithfulness within a battle. And in this situation, it is the story and the account of David and Goliath, Okay. If you've never read the Bible before, you've probably heard stories of or you've probably watched movies that somehow imitate or show this whole concept of the small guy against the big giant and how the small guy comes out on top. It all comes from the Bible. If you never knew about David and Goliath and his first time in church, it comes from the Bible. That's where it is, 1 Samuel chapter 17. In this situation, David comes and he wins the battle against Goliath. 
But if we go back and we understand this, the whole army is lined up. The army of the Philistines are lined up on one side, the army of Israelites on the other side. And what's happened now is that the way they're unpacking this is that they're sending out a champion. The Philistines are sending out Goliath. Goliath is a big guy, mean guy, bad language, the whole lot. He's just nasty, okay? And he's come out, and they're saying, you send your champion, we send our champion, let them battle to the death, and whoever loses, well, that entire army becomes kind of subservient, submissive to uh, what will kind of be considered conquered by the other army. So, so this guy, day after day, is coming out, and he's, he's, he's just shouting out these threats, and he's getting all aggressive. This is the response. This is the response of the Israelite army, and I've just kind of taken two verses. Please go read it at home. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, Saul is the king who's leading the people at this stage, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, as I'm reading this, I want you to be filtering this through. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 2 to 4, which we just read about the priests that come before the army. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, verse 24, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, if we unpack this just a little bit more, and really what I want to do here is not trying to create some kind of theology or doctrine. I want to ask a question, and I want us to think about this for a second. Where is the priest. Think about it for a second. Where is the priest? We've got an army that's full of fear. They're terrified. They're overwhelmed. Where is the priest who's standing up and saying, God is with you. God is for you. You're going to win this battle. Where's the priest? Well, if you go back a couple of chapters, you understand that Saul, who's the king, and Samuel had a fallout in a battle situation as well. Saul got scared waiting for Samuel. Samuel didn't come. Same timeline as what he wanted. Didn't do it the way he wanted it done. Long story. Read it. Very interesting. He did a couple of things he wasn't supposed to do. Samuel walks away from him, and the relationship is broken between the king and the prophet. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, Samuel gets up. The Lord says to him, why do you mourn over Saul? I've appointed another. And then he goes off and guess who he encounters and who he anoints? David. Then we come to chapter 17, and we find one army that has no prophet, no priest, pulling away in fear, and we have a little boy who's arrived after having an encounter with a prophet, and he has faith, he has confidence. How can this guy be blaspheming our God? Who is he to defile and to, to speak like that to us? We'll ta who's taking him out? Why has nobody taken this guy out? I'll take him out. Saul says, here's my armor. He goes, I don't want your armor. Takes a couple of stones, a slingshot, and he wins the battle. My question, in your life, could it be that you're trying to fight your battles on your own? Could it be that maybe in the gathering of the saints, in times like this, coming together under the word of God, could it be that when you meet with your life groups and with your life group leaders, sitting with brothers and sisters in Christ, could it be that it's in times like that that the anointing of God, the presence of God, something happens in your life that gives you the faith, that gives you the courage, and gives you the confidence to win the battles that you're facing in your life. We live in a very, very independent world. I sometimes wonder whether that level of I can do it on my own 
is not undermining the fact that we were never meant to do it on our own. Maybe that's why we're more fearful. Maybe that's why we become more afraid. That, maybe that's why we're shrinking more back because we are trying to do it on our own when we were never meant to do it on our own. We we're meant to sit under the word of God, receive the word of God, sit under God's anointing in the presence of God, allow his spirit to speak into our spirits, something to come alive inside of us. Stay tuned to what God is saying. Let me give you a third point. Third point is this. Choose your fighting friends carefully. Choose your fighting friends carefully. Let's go straight into Deuteronomy chapter 5. We kind of move through from verse 2 to verse, verse 1 to verse 4. We're going to go through to verse 8 now. The officers shall say to the army, the priests have spoken, the officers, leaders speaking to the army, saying, has anyone built a house, not yet begun to live in it? Let him go home. We may die in battle. Someone else may begin to live in it. Has anyone planted a vineyard, not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. And then verse 8, then the officers shall add, is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home, so that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened too. Ever been with brothers and sisters in Christ? Ever been to a life group? Pray not here, but we're all human, we all make mistakes, where you walked in on top of the world, and by the time you walked out, every ounce of faith, confidence, assurance, excitement, and life had been sucked out of you. Kind of like a husband and wife, finally, Wife gets her husband to go with her to life group. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And on the way home, he's like, you know what? If I wanted to torture myself, I could have turned the news on. Never going back there again. Why is it that the very places that we're supposed to be finding hope and faith so often become the places that take our faith and our hope away from us? So my challenge on this point, choose your finding friends carefully, is to, the first is this, who are you connecting with? Are they people that build your faith? Are they people that are lifting up your hands in battle? Are you connecting with faith builders or faith breakers? And I would encourage you to build with people that are gonna build your, connect with people that are gonna build your faith. My second point is this, who are you? Are you a faith builder or are you a faith breaker? And that is probably the hardest challenge for us because I want to say you need to be, I need to be, if we believe what that Bible, what the Bible, what the Word of God teaches us, we cannot but be faith builders, people who lift up others. When they come into contact with us, something supernatural takes place because we know our hope is in Christ. We know that God is for us. We know that God supernaturally empowers us, touches us, equips us, and moves us forward. We know that there is something going on inside of our lives. And when we touch and we come into contact with other people and our lives touch somebody else's life, somebody else's life touch our lives, we need to be building one another up. Choose your fighting friends carefully. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, 25 is exactly that. Do not neglect the gathering of the saints. Why? Because it's there that we encourage one another. It's there that we build one another up. Amen.
I'm gonna bring things to a close. I'm gonna ask the worship team if they wanna come out. And we're gonna start moving towards uh, landing this thing in just a second. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, going back to that place. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So why do we need to learn to fight? Well, we know we need to learn to fight because God wants to make us stronger, amen? But there's something else. Because your life, God wants your life to be full. John chapter 10 verse 10 says this, I came to give you life and life in abundance. God has not called us to be cowards that shrink back. God's not called us to be people who are gonna avoid. God wants us to be strong in him. Not strong in ourselves, strong in him. And together we can take hold of eternal life. Deuteronomy chapter 20, 16 to 18. It's quite a, 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 a bit of a, a big passage, but we'll go there. Moses says this, however, in the cities of the nations of the Lord, our God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. And please don't understand, verse 18 kind of clarifies that for us in our discussion today. And he says, completely destroy them. And he speaks about all these nations. And this is what he's getting at in verse 18. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods. And you'll sin against the Lord your God. Why do we fight? We fight because we're different. Why do we have to learn to overcome these things? Because we're not the same. We're not the same as everything else going on in the world. We are a royal priesthood. We're a holy people. God has placed something upon our lives. If you say, well, just believe anything. No, we don't just believe anything. We believe what God teaches us to believe. We're chosen. We're appointed. God's done something in our lives. And you know, whenever we, we, we choose to give up and surrender and to rather let go and it's okay, in those moments we run the risk of becoming just diluted and watered down like everything around us. There's no difference, but we are. There is something that God has called us to. There is something special, holiness, set apart. God has called us. Not better than, please, let us never ever feel that we're better than. But let us not become same as. Let us become same as Christ. Not same as the world. <laughs>